Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Christian Underground News Network. I'm your host, Kurt Chamberlain, along with your co-host, Pastor Dick Chamberlain. And uh, if you enjoyed last Tuesday's podcast with our special guest, J.B. Hickson, Dr. J.B. Hickson, I think that you're going to enjoy today's, too, because he has graciously agreed to try to be with us every Tuesday that he is available. And we we certainly uh, are, are blessed that he's uh, agreed to do that. And and we, we thank you very much, Dr. Hickson, for being with us again this morning as we talk about um, another pretty incredibly important subject uh, that you've written a, a book about here recently. I think this was published in 2020 by uh, Grace uh what was the name of the publisher grace grace acres grace acres press and um the name of the book is the top 10 reasons some people go to hell and the one reason no one ever has to uh great title and i've read the book twice now and and uh, i gotta tell you good stuff and uh jb it's it's something that uh it's kind of a touchy subject these days, isn't it, to talk about uh, salvation in this light uh, and the, the possibility of going to hell? Uh, it wh- absolutely is. Why, why just, is you know, that? Here. Yeah, I think uh, it's just a sign of the times. I mean, people are uh, getting away from the absolute truth of God's word, and um, obviously uh, sin has become marginalized, and people don't even like to use the word sin anymore. They call it, uh, you know, a weakness or a limitation or something like that. But the concept of, uh, you know, the penalty of sin and the need for a savior and eternal condemnation, all of which are very clearly taught in God's word, uh, has just uh, become very um, uh, unpopular. And most preachers and teachers today, sadly, and I, and I do mean most, I mean, we, we, we know there's a, a biblical principle of a great end times falling away, so I'm, right. I'm not uh, just speaking hyperbolically. I, I definitely believe most uh, preachers and teachers today have gotten away from the absolute truth of God's Word and are compromising on this very important issue. What do you think is the main driving force behind uh, this, well, purposeful turning away from from the the actual preaching and teaching of, of what God actually said in his word what what is the driving force behind this I think it kind of depends on the context uh, I think uh, in one segment of uh, so-called evangelicalism you've got just a whole bunch of shysters a f- bunch of uh, fakes out there that are wanting to make money or get rich or, or gather a following and so uh, their motives are impure from the get-go. They never really have accepted uh, the truth of God's word, and uh, they have ulterior motives. Um, I think another segment is just uh, a result uh, and a manifestation of uh, what we're seeing taught in our Bible colleges and seminaries today, many of which have gotten away from the truth of God's word, and they're uh, teaching um, young men and women how to be leaders and managers and how to build businesses, but they, they're not teaching them how to honor and value and, and teach the word of God. So I think in some cases it's not not a uh, outright nefarious motive. It's just uh, um, a sign of the times. And 
I think whether they realize it or not, for many people, the underlying driving force is uh, a desire to be popular and not want to offend. We live in a day and age where people are told we must draw circles of inclusion rather than lines of distinction. Right. And if you draw any absolute line, you're considered mean and hateful. And you know, so the, the, the phrase, uh, we've got to agree to disagree, uh, has become very popular. And uh, personally, I don't like that phrase. Um, I, 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 I don't either. Bible, I don't either. Yeah. I, I, I think when you use the word absolute, uh, you, you, you hit upon probably something that that is the driving force behind this and that uh, the, it's the popular thought form today that there is no absolute truth. Right. So, of course, as we know, uh, yeah, uh, there is absolute truth and it's found in God's word. Absolutely. Uh, but what we need today are more Christians that are willing to disagree to agree and uh, stop Amen. agreeing with all of this false doctrine. Right. Com- compromise with the world leads to nothing but a falling away from from the truth. And, Amen. Uh, That's right. Yeah. And, and I think that too many churches today are compromising. Uh, like you're saying, and, and I mean, this is an incredibly important subject. I mean, this is people's souls we're talking about. Their eternal Amen. security, and uh, and uh, you 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 hit it right in, right in the kisser with this book. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, one chapter in particular, uh, I believe, was chapter two, which was entitled "Too Smart for Your Own Good." Um, yeah. <laughs> why is that such a big problem? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty smart guy, I think. Um, I think most people consider themselves kind of, you know, at least semi-intelligent. Um, but that can be a problem, can't it? Absolutely, yeah. I think people uh, have... Uh, when I say too smart for their own good, I, I, I kind of open that chapter with um, a quote by uh, the British, the 19th century British theologian, William Paley. I love that quote. Said, yeah. Yeah. He, he said, there is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all argument, and which cannot fail to keep a man in, in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to examination. Mm-hmm. So, uh, now, this chapter on Too Smart for Your Own Good and the one on Pride, which is chapter six, which I call the GOAT, yes. um, of the acronym, you know, greatest of all time, that acronym G-O-A-T, yes. uh, kind of go hand in hand because people's pride makes them think that, you know, well, I'm an engineer, or I'm a lawyer, or I'm a doctor, or I'm a scientist, or I've got this credential or that credential. And so consequently, they don't need this, uh, you know, any, any Bible telling them what to do. The Bible is passe and and only ignorant fools would believe the Bible. And so sometimes uh, uh, people are um, are too smart for their own good. But I'd like to kind of back up, if you don't mind, and just sort of kind of lay the groundwork for the premise of the book and kind of what the overall subject is about. Would that be okay? Well, that's perfect. I was going to ask you what your what your uh, your uh, uh, inspiration was for writing it to begin with. I mean, I've got a good idea what it was, but only you really know that. So. What was yeah. the inspiration for writing this, JB? Yeah, so so again, the title is Top 10 Reasons Some People Go to Hell, and the one reason no one ever has to. So obviously at the macro level, the book is about hell, which, as you kind of alluded to in your introduction, is uh, pretty uncommon today. People don't like to talk about hell, and they sure don't like to write uh, books about 
hell. Right. But this book is really more than that. It's not just a book about hell. It's really a. It's really two things. It's both an evangelistic tool yes. that can be given to skeptics and those who don't know the Lord. Uh, and in the preface, I actually talk directly to someone who might consider themselves a skeptic and not know the Lord, and 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 kind of lay the case out and ask them to give me the courtesy of reading the book, and 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 then they can draw their own conclusions. Right. But it's not just an evangelistic tool. It's also an apologetic tool for believers. Because the main premise of the book, as the title indicates, Top Ten Reasons That Some People Go to Hell, is, uh, and, and the inspiration for it is, is this. I've been passionate about the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel for 32 years. Um, right. And I won't take the time to get into how the Lord kind of got me into that right as I was graduating from college. Uh, uh, but, uh, but this is a real deep passion of mine. And, and our ministry, Not By Works Ministries, is based upon Titus 3.5, not by works mm-hmm. of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Amen. And so, uh, and, and by the way, all of this that we're talking about, you can find on our website at notbyworks.org. And if a listener uh, feels like this is a book that would benefit them or they, uh, their curiosity is piqued and they'd like to read it, they can purchase it right there at our website. Absolutely. absolutely. I, w- I, would enc- I would encourage every listener to get it. Yeah, so... But the inspiration was, as I've traveled and spoken uh, with our ministry, we've had the privilege to speak in uh, hundreds upon hundreds, almost, uh, well, probably over a thousand by now. I haven't counted in a long time, but over the 32 years of ministry, uh, different churches and states, we've been in all 50 states. And every uh, along this journey, every time I see someone who uh, does not believe the gospel, they, they hear the gospel, but they walk away and don't receive it, I am just really perplexed because I'm thinking this is the greatest gift in the world. It's yeah. man's greatest need. Yes. It's absolutely free. It doesn't <laughs> cost you a dime. Nope. I mean, it cost our Lord his life and his shed blood, of course. Uh, yes. So there is a great cost to our redemption from the penalty of sin. But for the recipient, uh, Jesus paid it all. So right. it's a free gift. That's right. Uh, and so I just think to myself, what would keep someone uh, you know, from believing the gospel? So I just sort of made notes and and just in my mind's eye have collected uh you know reasons that i think uh you know people might you know not believe the gospel hindrances to believe in the gospel and eventually i just decided to turn it into a book so i actually started this book uh, over five years ago um and it was one of those things that just took a long time to really uh, put into its final form but uh, last year during the lockdown when all of our events uh were canceled, uh, mm. and I wasn't able to travel. I just used that time to uh, to put it down. So, ten reasons. You know, ultimately, theologically, and I don't have to tell you this, uh, being a, a solid Bible uh, student, but theologically, there's really one reason that someone goes to hell, and that's unbelief. Right. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose again for your sins, that's correct. You will spend eternity in a literal place of torment called hell. Yes. And that's not God being unjust, that's God being entirely just. Right. And Perfect. no one can Perfectly blame God. Just. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No one can blame God that if they end up in hell because God warned us ahead of time if you sin, uh, you're gonna face spiritual death. Yeah. And and then he took the extraordinary step of going above and beyond to rescue us from our own predicament. Yeah. And he provides it ultimately free of charge to anyone who will simply receive it by faith. Amen. So 
it's, uh, you know, God's done everything he can do, but God's not going to force someone to believe. That's right. So that's the Calvinist view. Calvinists believe it's irresistible. You don't have a choice yeah. in the matter. If you're elect, you're, you're forced to believe. We don't believe the Bible teaches that. Um, Correct. But right. uh, it's, it's totally uh, a free choice, just as it was our free will to sin to begin with. It's our free will to receive uh, the remedy for that uh, sin. And so, so nobody can blame God. So ultimately, the one reason that anyone goes to hell is unbelief. But then the 10 chapters that follow that um, in, uh, in this book uh, are, you know, what is it then that might keep someone from believing uh, the gospel? Right. And you touched on one of them. It's uh, uh, chapter two, which is really the first of the 10 reasons. Yes. Uh, chapter one, I get into the theology of why someone might, uh, you know, go to hell, which is unbelief, uh, you know. Uh, and so, but then the, the next 10 chapters are all about, you know, here's a here's a reason, an influence, if you will, that might keep someone from believing the gospel. Right. And I, and I love I love how you how you dealt with it in chapter two. The the very the very uh, title is is kind of funny, uh, but and I've and I've heard it directed at me before. Uh, I hate to say that, but uh, I, I think I can recall my my dad, the pastor telling me uh, upon several occasions, you know what, you're too smart for your own good. Now, is yeah, that, yeah. Is, is that is it possible for us to be too smart for our own good? Yeah, absolutely. As I say in that chapter, intelligence is no guarantee against making dumb decisions. Well, that's, and uh, that's you know, true. some of the smartest people in history have done really stupid things. And there's I, nothing more stupid than rejecting uh, the free gift of eternal life by faith in Christ. You're right, and and uh, you know I'd like you to. I, I think you touched on it in that chapter. Um, the difference between uh, intelligence and something called critical thinking. Yeah, absolutely. What? Uh, can, there's a book. Uh, can can you yeah, go in, can you go that, into the difference between those two real quick for us? Absolutely. Yeah, Dave Robinson uh, wrote a book back in 2019. I don't know anything about him. Don't know if he's a believer, but it was a a pretty good best-selling book called The Intelligence Trap. And he talked about how people who are intelligent are actually more likely to uh, make mistakes because of certain biases in their judgment. Mm -hmm. uh, so he makes a statement, you might expect Nobel Prizes to correlate positively with rational thinking. <laughs> right. This is by no means automatic. Right. So uh, intelligence is not the same thing as critical thinking. Uh, people can have... Uh, knowledge and expertise in a variety of subjects, and yet uh, just because of their training and knowledge base, but yet when faced with a predicament or a puzzle outside of their realm, they don't have the natural critical thinking instincts to be able to, uh, you know, solve the puzzle. And and we see this all the time. It's really uh, a a sign of the dumbing down of America and the fact that your average person just can't think critical. I'll give you an example. We were at the, the zoo recently with our granddaughter, and we went to one of the little kiosks that had burgers and hot dogs and fries and stuff to, to uh, get something to eat. And when we got up to the front of the line, the person at, behind the counter said, I'm sorry, but our register is down, and we can't take any orders or take, you know, to take any, we can't serve you. And I said, well, what if I have exact cash? I'll probably be glad to pay cash exact amount. I don't need any change. 
And they said, no, I'm sorry, our system's down. We can't do it. I said, you can't just take the money, set it aside, and then once the register comes back up, rekey it in when you have time. And, and then, no, nope, we can't do it. And I'm just thinking, talk about not being able to think outside the box. I mean, right. here, they're leaving money on the table, losing sales, yeah. simply because they don't really know how to think critically and realize, you know, hey, we've got the food, we've got the product, we can take the money, we just don't have a register that we can use right now. We so, yeah, we can't, re- we can't record the transaction, so we're not going to do any of it. Right, because they probably don't know what a pencil and piece of paper is where they can write down, you know. You may not uh, know how to add, add, right, yeah, you may, they may not know how to add or subtract on their own, I don't know. But. Well, that's with Common Core, that's probably not too far from <laughs> the truth, but. Uh, you're right but, about uh, that. So, yeah, that's anecdotal, but, you know, it's obviously it's a far more serious subject when it comes to yes. the gospel. And as I state in that chapter, I mean, people um, are content in their own intelligence and don't, you know, don't tell me how to think. Don't tell me, you know, right or wrong. I've already figured it all out and it's too smart for their own good. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a sin of pride really is what it boils down to. Yeah. And and it's yeah, a, like I said, there's a connection. And it's alluded to in scripture time and time again. We're, we're warned about not being deceived uh, by uh, philosophies and vain vain deceit. Uh, yes. We're warned not to be heady and high-minded uh, for a reason. Uh, and, and it's exactly the reason you're stating in this book is that uh, we can get to thinking uh, a little more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And when we get to thinking right. that, when we get to thinking that way, uh, sometimes it, it can lead us to believe that, you know, uh, we can, we can make it ourselves. Yeah, in, in each chapter, you know, after sort of talking about the reason that, you know, someone might not believe the gospel, I then go to a passage of scripture that mm-hmm. kind of serves as the basis for that mm-hmm. chapter. And in, in this one, you know, I, I take us to the Athenian philosophers in oh boy. Uh, the book of Acts. And, uh, right. you know, that's a, a, a perfect example of uh, some people who end up in hell because they're high-minded philosophical ideas blind them, uh, you know, to the truth. So, uh, how, how, how influential is that kind of, uh, thought form today, JB? I mean, it, is, is it, um, is it a, a big culprit or, or, you know, a little culprit in, in, uh, what, what appears to be all of this, this, uh, downright rejection of the gospel it, it is, uh, humanistic psychology and philosophical thought kind of, uh, one of the bigger problems. Yeah, of course, I, I would I would separate those two into separate categories, uh, though there is kind of a correlation. But uh, humanistic psychology, which we'll talk more about in a moment because we have a chapter on that, mm-hmm. uh, is a little different. It, it kind of trickles down into the populace and the average Joe on the street. Right. I think the, uh, the high-minded intellectualism mm-hmm. uh, is a big problem in what we might call the academy. In other words, uh, institutions of higher learning. Um, you know, they, uh, it causes people to focus on, you know, the intellectual aspect of religion to the exclusion of the relational aspect. And uh, so yes. they're not, they're not able to see beyond, uh, again, it's this, this high mindedness and, and, uh, but you know, as Jesus said again and again, throughout his earthly ministry to the Pharisees and scribes and the intellectually lead of his day, you know, it's not what you do that matters. It's who you are. 
That's and right. yeah. you, know, you may think you've dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's, and you may look down upon you know the dirty, rotten, filthy sinners uh, around you. But you know, again and again, it was Jesus who welcomed the sinner in his or her humility, mm-hmm. but rejected the high-minded pridefulness of the uh, of the intellectual elite. Right. That's right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it is a big problem, and I, you're right. Uh, it's it's taught in in most of the mainstream uh, uh, secular universities for sure, uh, but even in in some of our seminaries, uh, it's being paid more attention to than anything else. It it actually in in most cases, in a lot of cases, takes precedence over uh, what the gospel really states. It's a big problem. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's one of the reasons that over time the Lord kind of led me to uh, to, to break away and, and kind of go full-time with Not By Works Ministers. I spent 12 years in full-time academics. I was vice president of academics at a, uh, a seminary, and I was uh, academic dean and dean of faculty at a large Bible college before that. So, um, and, and I still have a foot in the door. I do a lot of adjuncting and speaking at, at different places uh, in uh, you know, academic institutions, but I just felt like, you know, the glass house mentality was, was really becoming distasteful to me where, you know, all of these academicians, you know, uh, sit around a table and argue about trivial things and, and yet they won't, you know, walk across the street and talk to their neighbor about Christ. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Are, are, do, do they not do it because they're afraid of the response they're going to get? Oh, you know, who could say? I mean, I'm sure that's part of it in the minds of some of them, but I think largely it's just a characteristic of the institution today where they are more interested in writing journal articles and books about the, you know, how many angels can dance on the head of a pen rather than, (laughs) you know, again, that relational aspect. And I I don't mean to paint with too broad of a brush because there are some some great uh, men and women who serve uh, the Lord in academic institutions, and they do have a balanced approach, so it's, it's not universal, but I do think it's widespread, and mm-hmm. and, and the, the culture of academia breeds that. You know? Yeah, I think so, too, and I, I it, that, that thought kind of leads into your third chapter of your book entitled, I'm Okay, You're Okay. I think, uh, isn't, that, isn't that the prevalent uh, way to treat each other these days, according to uh, secular thought? Uh, the I'm okay, you're okay, you know, telling maybe homosexual people that, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I disagree, right. you know, uh, yeah. I'm okay, you're okay. What you do is okay. What what I'm doing is okay. Uh, yeah. you, you devote a, almost a whole chapter to that, that particular thought. Uh, and could you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. By the way, I love the uh, the veiled Seinfeld quote there. A lot of our listeners may or may not get that. But, yeah, yeah. but, uh, yes. but anyway, yeah, Jesus Jesus said in Matthew nine twelve, "Those who are well have no need of a physician." That's right. But those who are sick. That's so, right. So unfortunately, we've been told, you know, going back to the you know forties, fifties, sixties in particular, is where it really kind of got traction that man is inherently good, mm-hmm. and that uh, you know you don't have a problem that we just need to accept everybody, no matter how immoral their behavior is. And uh, it was Dr. Thomas Harris, who was uh, chief psychiatric officer with the Navy during World War II, uh, that 
kind of came up with this idea in, in his book entitled, and this is where I'm borrowing the title for the chapter, I'm Okay, uh, You're Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, that book sold 15 million copies, and uh, it's just become massively influential. And uh, even people that may not realize, may not know him or may not even know there was a book, have adopted that philosophy because it has become pervasive. Um, but, uh, you know, he basically teaches that we've got to accept everybody uh, the way they are. And, um, uh, you know, he does not, he rejects the notion that mankind is born in sin, broken, corrupt, and in need of redemption, and that only Jesus Christ can heal us. Uh, so it's very Freudian, uh, obviously. Uh, oh, it is, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it, it also reminds me of um, basic theosophical thought. Uh, uh, Alice Bailey and... Helena Blavatsky uh, in that area yes. in the 18, 1700s, uh, when that theosophical thought form first came to light, and uh, they, yeah, they, they didn't believe in sin. They, they called it an ignorance of one's own inner divinity. Yeah, no question. And and I, you're speaking my language when you talk about Alice Bailey and uh, Helena Blavatsky. Uh, those are the, the theosophical society folks, and. Uh, and, uh, you know, Alice Bailey uh, thought, uh, you know, in her thousands of pages of books that she wrote, she uh, states openly that she was channeling demonic influences. As oh, she oh absolutely. So, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Sigmund Freud, who is basically the one who, who, who in, a, in a formal clinical sense, popularized the I'm okay, you're okay yes. psychoanalysis approach. He, a lot of people don't realize he was heavily influenced by the famous eugenicist Charles Darwin. Absolutely. And, uh, he was, so, yes. you know, Darwinism teaches that mankind is uh, is getting better and better and better, and that if we just simply weed out the, uh, the undesirables in society, and by that Darwin meant people that have a broken leg or a broken arm or people of color, you know, the useless breeders, he said, let's just get rid of them all and, and kill them, exterminate them so that we can breed only the highest uh, class mm-hmm. of people. Right. Darwin was a eugenicist, not a scientist. A lot of people don't realize that. The subtitle of his book um, was The uh, Preservation of the Favored Races in uh, in Life. And so he, he mm-hmm. definitely, um, you know, and, and that's, where, that's where the whole eugenicist movement uh, came from, was from that belief system that wanted to improve the genetic quality of the human population by killing and weeding out anybody they deemed to be inferior. Uh, and it was all based upon the fundamental belief, uh, the wrong belief, of course, but the fundamental belief that man is inherently good. And if we can just kind of capture the good people, put them on an island and have them breed, and then the world will just become this utopian perfection. Mm-hmm. But we've got to do that. We've got to get rid of the, the people that have problems. And so, but of course we know that mankind has a universal problem, uh, irrespective of class or race or yeah. physical abnormalities, and that problem is sin. And the only remedy is to receive the free gift of eternal life paid for by the blood of Christ. Amen. Amen. I think that's a good... Now, we, we've got to take a short break here, JB, uh, but will you hold on, uh, stay on the line while we, uh, while we take a short break, and then... Um, we will be back to do a uh, second half hour. You bet. Can't wait. I'll stand by. Fantastic. Thank you. We shall return in 
just a few moments. Tune in for our next half hour.